On this episode of This Week in Linux, the first six-year LTS Linux kernel was released, huge update from Mozilla with Firefox Quantum, new distro releases from Fedora and Slacks, Linux now dominates the supercomputer market, well, even more than it already did. This week, I made a new way to easily find out what Linux games are on sale on Steam. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. Did you know that Linux is everywhere? I mean, you probably did, since you're watching a Linux good news show. Unfortunately, some people don't know this fact, so if you're looking for a stylish way to let them know, check out the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. It's the shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. The concept of the design has tux blended into the background to convey the message, even if you aren't aware that Linux is there. It probably is. The shirt is available for shipping from North America and from Europe. You can order the shirt at tuxdigital.com slash linuxiseverywhere. Up first in the show this week is the Linux kernel released 4.14. It's the first LTS release with six years support. And it's the biggest notable thing right now is the support for AMD secure memory encryption. And also incre increasing the uh, memory limits for x86 hardware. Well, 64-bit hardware. So instead of the previous 256 terabytes of physical virtual address space, and 64 terabytes of physical address space. There's now 128 petabytes of virtual and four petabytes of physical. So that's excessively awesome. Also give it uh, improvements to the Wi-Fi driver for Realtek, some Butter, ButterFS compression support added for Z, ZSTD, HDMI support for the CEC support for Raspberry Pi, so better um, better performance and some improvements to the touchpad supports, which is very good because there's been some uh, Asus laptops that had some touchpad problems. And this should fix that, but we'll see about that. Uh, also, we had an announcement this week where, not really, um, some information trickled out, I guess, really, where Linux 4.15 uh, is going to have new improved support for USB Type-C port managing, and it's going to get audio support for the AMD Stony Ridge. Uh, we're also going to get some AMD GPU DC support, which is already in the kernel right now, or, well, a pull request has been made. Not just not sure if it's actually been a, a accepted or not. But what this does is, is it gives um, better rendering management. So for... For example, the AMD GPU DC is display code stack for the AMD GPU driver, DRM driver, and DRM meaning direct rendering manager. They should have picked a better uh, initialism for that, but it is what it is, I guess. Then the, the, the AMD GPU DC also supports for atomic mode setting and Radeon RX Vega display support out of the box. So not only is 4.14 great for the for the its current updates, we're gonna have even more support pretty soon with 4.15, and I mean that's the normal thing that happens with Linux kernel updates. But 
these these past these two updates are going to be like way bigger than they typically are. Firefox 57 Quantum was released this week, and with it comes basically everything's different. Okay, me- next topic. <laughs> okay, but so seriously, they've got a new rendering engine with Servo, which has like been in development for years and is finally being pushed out completely. And Servo is very fast. It's basically like two times faster than the previous versions of Gecko, which were still improving. You know, they're still they were still working on it, even though it was being replaced. But uh, they also introduced introduced a new uh, design, like a the photon design. So it's more streamlined on you know pretty much all operating systems. There are some issues with CSDs and things like that on Linux, but that's that's kind of a CSD problem. But, you know, then the other thing is they added web extension only, which means that older versions of add-ons do do not work anymore. So the MPAPI-based add-ons did not work. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, in some ways it's good because it means that with web extensions, you can actually make Chrome extensions port to Firefox. So if there's a, if you're a Chrome user and there's a specific extension you like using Chrome for, you can now use that in Firefox. Well, not exactly, not like right now, but it could be ported. Any of them can be ported. So that's the that's the benefit. They also added a screenshot tool, which is nice for web developers and web designers. I'm not sure if there's actually a screenshot of the screenshot tool in the preview. Oh, there is. All right. So... This allows you to have like, you know, you can already make a screenshot of your whole screen with just your basic, you know, print screen button. You can also do like, in most of these tools on most Linux distros, there's a, a region select. But very few of them have any inter, inter, internet, uh, integration with actually capturing the entire web's, web page. This particular feature from the new Firefox does offer this ability to just take a screenshot of the entire web page, which is very um, often gigantically tall these days. So it is a very nice uh, addition. And you also get a nice library that organizes them and stuff like that based on date, and you can tag them and stuff. Also with this release is AMD VP9 hardware accelerated video decoding so that you can have better uh, performance and use less like resources in order to do it. Additionally, there's other things that the the new version has. It now has a multi-process CSS engine, which allows you to run, like load CSS files and cache them and process them way faster than they used to be. So the the process to load all the JavaScript, to load all the, the CSS and everything, the HTML, has been much more uh, streamlined so it, that's one of the reasons why Firefox is so much faster. There are still a few things that I'm not going to talk about because they're not really specific to the new version of Firefox. But be sure to subscribe if you're if you're interested in. Um, there's some add-ons that are brand new for Quantum that I'm going to address that are awesome. So I'm going to make some individual videos for those because they kind of need to be. Uh, like, for example, I'll just go ahead and tell you, one of them is container tabs. Uh, go ahead and look that up if you don't know what it is. Uh, or, or, you know, subscribe and just uh, click the link when it's up- uploaded. 
And then finally, to go back to the extension section, I wanted to point out that the web extensions are actually better because they're more secure. Uh, they're, they're, they allow for better sandboxing and for signing of the extensions more efficiently so that you can be, we can be sure that when you install an extension from you know, the, market, the add-on marketplace, it'll be what you wanted. And also, they have to get through, they have to be approved on the add-on marketplace in order to do that. So anyway, overall, Firefox 57 Quantum is a fantastic release. I'm a big Firefox fan, so I'm a little biased in that part. But it is very, very much improved. It's very fast. I do like the way they've impl in, in, implemented a way you can have like a dark mode theme or a, um, you know, a light theme, or you can actually change like a compact theme where the buttons get smaller, and then like you can have a touch mode where the buttons get bigger, so you can have those l laid out on different like devices, and it will work in a you know in a more responsive way. I really like. I really like the um, this this approach, and I can't wait to look forward to the next you know, fifty eight, fifty nine, and sixty because based on the progress they've made so far, it's going to be good. So there's some people who might not like the changes that are coming to Firefox, and I understand that because there you might lose your add-ons and you don't want that to happen. You might not like the new interface. I'm, I mean, various reasons. So I wanted to feature this particular thing because it was also released announced this week. But this is the I'm I don't know how to say it. I'm gonna guess as Basilisk Basilisk browser. I don't know. But this is being made by Pell Moon. Pell Moon is a project that forked Firefox many years ago, and they provide uh, basically a an alternative to Firefox that still has most of the features that Firefox offers without many of the changes that are, a lot of people don't like. For example, uh, you can still use MP API add-ons, like the old add-ons and plugins, and they all still work. You know, things like that. Also, the theme is, is, is similar and all that. But this one is a different thing. Like, this is still made by Pale Moon, but this is like the development branch of, of Pale Moon. So, I'm not sure why they have a different name for it instead of just like, you know... Pell Moon Beta or something, but it seems like this is going to be a not a replacement, but just like a temporary development branch for the Pell Moon browser. So with this this new Basilix thing, uh, it's based on for Firefox, of course, and it has, uh, but it's keeping the Zool uh, interface XUL, and it's going to implement unified UXL platform or UXP uh, for rendering the UI and stuff like that. And they're going to continue using Gecko engine instead of Servo. So for people who want to use, um, you know, a Firefox without that changing your add-ons, Pale Moon is something you should definitely take a look at. This one is the development version. So it's technically like a beta and it's not necessarily what, people who are looking for stable releases should be using. But give it a shot if you want to check out the new stuff that Pell Moon is working on in the, for the future releases. Uh, but either way, Pell Moon or Basilisk, you know, there's an alternative for you that is pretty good and pretty solid as far as like uh, 
reliability for the project. There's another one that's called Waterfox, but pretty sure Waterfox is made is developed by one person and they want to do things that are kind of impossible as one person because they want to keep NPAPI working and they want to like remove certain features that Firefox offers and add other things that Firefox is removing. So I don't know. Check that out if you want, but I would say Pale Moon is probably the safest bet if you're interested in having an alternative Firefox that is still based on Firefox. Nano 2.9.0 was released this week, and I'm sure very, very few of you have actually ever heard of GNU Nano, but it's this uh, terminal text editor, in case you haven't heard of it. But So, but... <laughs> Uh, anyway, what's really it's this is a if you don't if you actually aren't aware this is like a mainstay for every distro pretty much everyone everything everyone who's using Linux at all has Nano installed. What's cool about this is that it has added um, some actually interesting things. For example, the ability to record and replay keystrokes. So like like you can record macros and then like output them back out. That's actually pretty cool. Now. Another thing that they added that's took long enough, but it finally happens, is that you can now have a shortcut to audit, to quickly save the current file you're working on, instead of having to you know click the save and say yes, and then say okay and close it, and then it's, like, hey, it's just it's just now Shift S. I think it's Shift S. It might be Control S. I don't exactly remember that part, but it's really nice to finally have something that uh, streamlines the very powerful and super extensive nano. Up next in the show is container-diff. It's a comparison a comparison tool for container images. The the source code is on is a, it's a it's a tool that is on GitHub and made by Google. So what it does is basically it, it looks inside of containers and looks like the differences between them such as like the docker files and you know, various things that show, like, you basically have a core container that's the same, then you have individual pieces inside of it that are slightly different. And this looks inside of the containers and see if there's any, what the differences are. So that's a very nice tool that Google created and decided to open source. So that's actually really cool. Um, if you're, you know, you deal with Docker or other types of containers a lot, you should definitely check this out. I haven't given it a shot yet, but it is something that I will probably use. This week we saw a release of OpenShot 2.4.1. It's a maintenance release that improves some playback playback while scrubbing, um, playback of images, stuff like that on the timeline, improves stabilities, and just you know the basic maintenance bug improvements and stuff like that. Now, for those who are you know, not familiar with OpenShot, it's not really that, you know, powerful of a video editor. But it is okay. You know, it's it's like uh, the Linux answer to iMovie. Like, it's not anywhere near Final Cut, but it's it can do basic stuff like iMovie and, you know, things like that. So if you're just wanting to do, like, basic clips and stuff like that, then OpenShot is, is a good option for that. If you want anything more... If you want any kind of precision or you know stuff like that, 
it's not that great of an option. So check out Caden Live instead for that. But this week we get an announcement for the Caden Live Cafe, number 23 and 24. This is essentially a community discussion meeting for Caden Live Project, where in this particular example they're going to be talking about the status of the Caden Live development and timeline refactoring, discussing new features, and also discussing the best way to install the software, whether that's like an app image or a snap or whatever. You know, they're going to they're gonna be discussing that. What I like about these and why I wanted to feature it is the way they approach it is that anyone can actually be a participant in the meeting. Now, they do have, like, topics that they, sp- they focus on, but the first 20 minutes of each meeting are dedicated to open discussion with anyone who shows up about any topic that's related to Caden Live. So that's pretty cool. If you're a fan of Caden Live or you know, interested in getting to video editing, uh, you can check out the two different meetings. One is on Tuesday, November 21st, and the other is Friday, December 15th. You can check your, you know, you can go to this page in the show notes and it'll have the, the time that you can reference to your own time zone. Maybe like a link to a calendar or something. But anyway, Caden Live Cafe. Uh, you know, I know this is silly. I know it doesn't matter. But I kind of want them to spell cafe with a K. They probably shouldn't, really. I don't want them to. LibreOffice had a little bit of a misstep recently with their mascot contest they've been running for quite a while. They announced the, I guess, the final potential 12 options that they're going to consider. And, well, they had a bit of a misstep. One of the things that they did wrong was they didn't manage it very well. So they 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 have an infrastructure of how it was done in a very problematic way. For example, they they put up message board where people would be voting on stuff, so it just random comments from random people could be posting. They ignored some options, some some art pieces for weird reasons that didn't make sense. Like one used the logo. In, like he used the logo in the art piece for something like somehow that's bad I don't know um, but anyway there's also things about this one like so for example um, this penguin in the top right the reason why this is a bad image or option is because this is actually from a stock photo unfortunately whoever made that took a stock photo and then just changed the the wings holding a pin Everything else is the same. So the fact that that became one of the top 12 options and they didn't take that consideration, even though people were saying that for a while, that it was a stock photo. And there's a few items that were good that weren't even, didn't make the top 12. and It was just problematic. So they decided to cancel the latest voting because of, well, in their words, it was kind of like, there was some vitriol on the message board that they set up. And that's typically because they had left it open and people... And it's the internet. 
contacts the internet. Um, but I created a, a post in Reddit, which I'll link in the show notes, where I explained how you could do this properly and not have to worry about any of the problems that LibreOffice ran into. So one of the things is basically ask for submissions and give a criteria. They didn't give a criteria. Um, only make people vote on 12 options at the beginning. And you know, various various other reasons, but other t tips that you can look at in the full show notes. But you make it limited so that the people who are voting, they're voting on things that are all good, and they're just choosing which one they like the best. Whereas, unfortunately, LibreOffice decided to narrow down nothing and have people vote on stuff that's absolutely impossible to be selected. Like old clip art from like 1990 something, you know, 1995 or something like that, where they just looks like they just went to an old uh, clip art thing of some ra random animal and just submitted it. That was included in the thing. There was also characters that were like, you know, an anime style people for some reason. And I, I like anime, but not for an, a mascot for an office suite. It's just, it's just odd. So it's just like they could have done so many things that would have improved the experience, but instead they made it very long, very tedious to do. You had over 70 options to deal with. I don't even remember exactly how many because I got bored of counting, but I got to 70 and stopped counting. Then there were multiple versions of the same thing that were not one. Some of them were good and some were very bad and they should have, we should have even had to vote on that. They should have narrowed that down. And overall, it took way too long. It's been a couple months since they started doing this. And at this point, you're getting like a, a you know, contribution fatigue at this point. So they should have made it where when you start voting, from that voting period to when they announce it should have been like a week. And that way, it wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have had this fatigue issue. But anyway, if you're interested in, you know, setting up a mascot for your project, Definitely check out the show notes where I give it a, uh, a rundown of how to do that properly. Fedora 27 was released this week. The Workstation and Atomic Editions are available for download. The Fedora 27 comes with GNOME 3.26, the Linux kernel 4.13, and has a lot of improvements for Kubernetes and Cockpit. Now, there is one thing is that the, the Fedora server version is not available yet it's currently in beta and that's because they started doing like these this ch massive changes to the modularity of the server so those are going to come pretty like a little bit afterwards but it's still you know it's still an interesting thing and I'm uh, I like the idea of making it a more modular cuz modularity is always a good thing Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7.4 is now available on ARM servers this work has been uh on in a joint venture between Red Hat and Qualcomm, Cavium, HP, Enterprise, and many more. So this is really cool to see that, you know, ARM is going to this, like, ARM is a very efficient thing. And it's efficient as far as, like, processing. It's efficient in power. It is very good architecture. It also has its own problems, like, you know, anything built for one particular ARM's device is not necessarily compatible with a different ARM device, and that's problematic, but 
overall, it does have a lot of benefits, and this does look very interesting. After two years of no activity from Slacks Linux, we now have a new release. And surprisingly, Slacks has now dropped support of using Slackware. They are now basing their distro on Debian and using Debian 9.2.1 for this latest release. There's a potential new Ubuntu flavor on the horizon. We don't really have an, uh, any kind of definitive answer, but we do have some new available ISOs that you can download and try that are development like daily build types. And that is the Ubuntu Unity flavor, um, or potential flavor. It's not really a flavor yet, but Ubuntu Unity 7, using Unity 7. Now, you know, they, they could use the name Ubuntu Unity Remix or something. I think that they should take the suggestion from Alan Pope, who said Immunity. That would be a cool name, because you can never keep Unity down. Immunity. Anyway, so Ubuntu Unity has uh, this is potentially coming out, and it already has some backing from... Not really canonical, not really, but they do have some employees and Ubuntu members that have offered to sponsor the flavor if so, this project were to continue. So it, it it does have a it does have a potential path to become an Ubuntu flavor. So that is quite cool, and I think Unity is Unity Seven and well Unity either either one Unity has got a lot of, like, a, a big, a bad rap, really, but it's not deserved, and I think Unity has a lot of cool ideas. But I do think that um, it's a shame that it's going away, and this would be really cool if that was, a, was they continued to do this project to make sure that it didn't go away. That would be pretty cool. So the next topic is actually multiple topics. It's a big roundup of Ubuntu 18.04 news. I'm going to basically leave the same thing up the whole time, but it's a lot of topics. <laughs> so the first thing is the guest sessions in Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. There's a call from the community from Canonical asking, should they continue to offer guest sessions or will not really continue, rebuild them? So what happened was when they switched to, to GNOME, they also switched to GDM. And unfortunately, GDM does not have the ability to use guest sessions. Um, a guest session, if you're not aware, is an ability to allow someone to use your computer without using your particular user account and still having access to like the basic fundamentals of like the, you know, the Wi-Fi connections and stuff like that. So they can still use your computer, but they wouldn't be able to get your private information. So that's the that's the purpose of a guest session. And with LightDM you could they they've had that for years where you could just switch to the guest and essentially this is a question of the community whether they should spend time building that into gdm or not what how many people use it um if you do use it feel free to go to the forum and you know give your opinion on whether well i mean either way honestly if you whether you use it or not if you want to give your opinion to the it'd be better it'd be better if you that the, 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 the more than just people who used it <laughs> told them so that they actually have full amount of data. Because, uh, in my opinion, I don't use guest sessions. Um, if someone wants to use my computer, um, I'll be hovering over them like a hawk, making sure they don't touch anything bad, 
in the sense of like breaking my stuff. So uh, I, I would, I rarely would have a problem with it. Would have an ish, a need for this, but some people might and let them know if you do. The next topic for Ubuntu 1804 is that it is possible that 1804 will come with support for snaps by default. And I don't mean, I mean more like shipped with snaps, not necessarily support because they already have that, but the shipping with snaps by default. Uh, Ubuntu Mate had already has, has already done this. They shipped a snap by default with 17.10. And interesting enough, KDE Neon has announced that they will also be shipping snaps pretty soon, as, as, as possibly as soon as a month or two. So by 18.04, they could definitely do it as well. We don't know for sure if Kubuntu would or not, but based on the work that Neon would be do, the Neon team would be doing, it could also make a create a path for the Kubuntu team to do it as well. So that'd be pretty interesting. And finally, this week for Ubuntu, anyway, is the new icon theme that's been confirmed for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, and that is the Suru, Suru, Suru. I'm gonna go with Suru. Sounds best. Community fork of the Suru icon pack that was created by the Ubuntu Touch project, also calling it Suru. So, I mean, that's kind of confusing. They should change the name a little bit. Urus? Urus? Maybe? Maybe? Anyway, uh, it's, it's a much needed introduction to you know changing the themes. So they're already working on changing the GTK themes and the shell and stuff like that, so it's really good they're also doing the icons. So it's it's possible that Ubuntu 18.04 actually might look different in some ways, <laughs> unlike, you know, all other versions of Ubuntu for the past seven years. <laughs> Still it's good, just a little dated. Steam has a lot of sales going on pretty much all the time. It's hard to keep track of what all these different games are on sale at any given time, so I decided to create this specific URL that makes it easier for anyone to go and find out what particular games are on sale that are Linux supported. So the way to find this, you have to set up, like, you have to go to a specific section on Steam, then you have to apply different uh, keywords and variables to make it to display only what you what we want in this particular case. So instead of that, I decided to make dustdigital.com slash Steam sale. So you just go there, and anytime Steam has a sale of any game, it'll be listed here. So for example, Broforce and This War of Mine are both on sale right now. And both of them look pretty fun. I mean, Broforce is absolutely fun. I haven't tried This War of Mine, but I do, uh, I, I do think it's quite interesting. So if you're if you are you know, ever curious what's on sale, just go to touchdigital.com slash steam sale. Speaking of this war of mine, it's on sale and it's a pretty interesting game. So this is a war-torn area game where, you know, most cases you would assume that in most war games you're playing as like, you know, one of the people in the war fighting to whatever. This is a very interesting game because it takes a very different approach in that you are playing a civilian who is just living in a war-torn area. So you're trying to survive and, you know, fend for yourself and also kind of help other people in your community. 
and trying to avoid the people who are trying to, you know, steal your stuff or maybe kill you and stuff like to kind of like, uh, it's, it's very somber, but at the same time, very stylish and interesting as the way like the, the, the game is built. So, um, I haven't given it a shot yet, but I, de- I definitely plan to because thanks to uh, um, com slash Steam Sale, I found out that it was it was on sale. Some interesting gaming news this week is the Dirt Rally Tabletop Carcade that was created um, on using SteamOS and, you know, Linux. The, the Carcade is a Dirt Rally specific arcade machine, basically. That sits. It's a tabletop arcade machine. It has eight gigs of RAM, a seven-inch LCD screen. the 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 amount of details that went into this is amazing. Really, like the even the case design is based on a rally car, like the actual design of a rally car. And it has built-in speakers and tons of stuff. So, like. If you just check out, like, this is what they wanted as, like, an inspiration. And then they just kept going and going, making tons of cool stuff. Like, um, like here's the design for the rally car. And he customized the steering wheel. Like, all kinds of cool stuff. Like, the, the amount of detail is just super impressive. But what's even cooler is that the 3D models made for this particular carcade is also is open source, and they're even making instructions in a GitHub repo. So if you're interested in learning more about this particular uh, build, check out the show notes in the video description. This week, OnePlus announced the OnePlus 5T for five hundred dollars. Well, four ninety nine, but it's five hundred dollars. $500, and it introduces a, a face-unlocking feature. You can have uh, apps running in parallel, which is pretty cool. Um, you can kind of do that already on Android, but still. Um, and probably the most important feature of this new phone release is, like, it's got, you know, it's got an improved camera, it's got an improved display, all that good stuff. But as you can see at the bottom of here, there is a headphone jack on this phone. Like crazy, right? A headphone jack? Ooh, it's like the technology these days. But anyway, the uh, OnePlus 5T has uh, Android, I mean, Android 7.0 Oxygen OS on it. They're working on making Android 8 support as well. But. To be clear, I mean, I, this phone does look great. It does, it's a, it's a nice-looking phone. It's a fairly decent price. But uh, OnePlus has been known for being a little too data-collecty. Uh, as in, like, everything. Your IMEI number, your serial number for your phone, like, everything. Like, your Wi-Fi status and, like, what networks you're connected to. All kinds of stuff, like... An excessive amount of things. So, if you do want to get this phone, which it does seem like a good phone, I would suggest getting Lineage OS on it. Just replacing the operating system and putting Lineage OS on it. 
They don't technically have support for this phone yet because it's not released. But Lineage OS typically releases new versions of like for different devices pretty quickly. So I suspect within like a couple weeks or so, the or even faster, that the OnePlus 5T will be supported by Lineage OS. And what's funny is that my phone is actually starting to go bad. The battery's kind of going bad. And it's one of those devices where you can't replace the battery because reasons. Um, so I might look into this one as well whenever Lineage has support for it. <laughs> this week we saw some updates to Ubuntu-powered laptop line from Dell, the Precision line. They've updated the CPU, the RAM, you know, all that good stuff. Unfortunately, Dell considers still considers Ubuntu a second-class or even third-class citizen. So I'm going to go into explain like why I say that. So it's still good that they're offering Ubuntu by default. It's just they don't seem to care to tell anyone. So you scroll down, and it has there. Oh, here's all that you refine your search. Cool. Uh, operating system. Oh, wait. Windows 10. That's it. So all of them. Uh, that's pointless. Then you scroll down, and it says, um, you know, all the way down here, operating system. Oh, wait. What? See more options. Okay more Windows options, and then right in the middle is Ubuntu. That's disappointing. So, how do you use this? Well, first you gotta go to Customize and Buy. And then, scroll down to the Operating System section, then choose Ubuntu, so you, you have to choose it manually. Then, of course, here's why I think it might be even a third-class citizen, is because once you click it, it then updates and gives you a notification, this operating system you've selected does not support Office Productivity software. Now, the way they describe it could scare people who don't know what this means. Because it says Office Productivity software, which could imply any kind of Office suite. But they just mean Microsoft Office, and that's all it references. But because they phrase it this way, it's even more of a suggestion of like, hey, don't click this. So, unfortunately, I still think that Ubuntu is a third-class citizen for Dell. Now, that's okay, because we do actually have good options. There are some companies that do create... Um, more, you know, more friend, Linux friendly, and in fact, specifically for Linux. There's IntroWare for if you're in the UK or Europe. There's Think Penguin, and of course, there's System76. Now, I don't have any particular like preference of which one um, you should use. Whichever's better for you in your area, um, that's great. You know, just choose whichever one you want. So. This week there was an announcement that's uh, kind of uh, unfortunate, but at the same time, not really that important. Now, the reason why I want to talk about it is because this is getting a lot of press um, because the city of Munich was the first was the first big deployment of Linux in like a governmental associate like a sp setup government a governmental organization. Like the entire city was switching over their departments to Linux. Now, 
they've changed the mayor and they've changed a lot of people who are in power in Munich, and that's really why it's being changed. Not because there's anything wrong with Linux or anything. It's because it's political, bureaucratic nonsense. Now, the reason why I don't really think it matters is because in the time when Munich switched was like 2003-ish, 2004, somewhere around there. Might have been a little earlier. Um, they It was a big deal because it was the first time it was ever done. Now it's been done many times over. And Linux is used in many situations like this to the point where Munich is not even that important anymore as far as like how much they do like they they're not like it's just like a lingering thing will they will they will they stay with linux won't they yeah so people keep talking about it but essentially it doesn't even matter because there is multiple cities that do it now use linux now but i do want to point out some things about what they said that are kind of ridiculous this says the city has struggled for Linux adoption. By the way, one of the reasons why they didn't work out as well as they hoped is because they didn't just use a Linux distribution. They made their own Linux distribution. So it would have been beneficial both money, not having to pay an IP department. They could have hired like Red Hat or Canonical or whatever to like provide services of, of, of you know like maintenance and stuff like that. They didn't have to do what they did, but they took on a lot of work creating this kind of a, this problem. So if they hadn't done that, wouldn't have been a problem. Then the the, the other thing and it's funny is inside of this article, they talk about having a, spending a lot of money for workarounds. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to bid a lot of money on workarounds because they didn't have to do most of the de development that they put effort into. Now, what's interesting about this is there's no final decision yet to have been made on whether Linux, I mean Linux, sorry, whether LibreOffice Libre will be swapped out for Microsoft Office. Now, let's think about that for a second. The only reason you would ever switch out an organization for productivity or, you know, organizational reasons ever would be Microsoft Office. But they're not even, they haven't even decided if they're going to do that or not. So... They're going to switch to Windows and spend millions of dollars on switching, both in having to build out things like they're going to have to do workarounds because Windows. They're going to have to pay licensing fees because, you know, Windows. And also, if they switch to Microsoft, they pay licensing fees for that too. So if they're not even sure they're going to switch away from LibreOffice in the first place, there's really no reason to do what they're doing. It's just bureaucratic nonsense. But thankfully, as I said, there's many examples where cities are doing it properly. And we don't really have to care about Munich anymore. So if you do leave and you do go back to Windows Munich, bye-bye. Uh, the last topic of today's episode is Linux now powers all top 500 supercomputers. It used to be like 498 supercomputers. But now, all 500, as the two that were using Unix are no longer using Unix, 
and I've now switched to Linux. So that is awesome. Fantastic news, especially considering the whole, you know, Munich switching away from Linux, supercomputers switching to Linux, you know. Which of those are super? You decide. What makes them super? Is it the Linux part? Yes, but you decide. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash tuxdigital, or you can buy the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room or become a patron to join me in the live Discord channel to discuss all the Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.